why Utes need a new head coach and where are they going to find it? And the Utah football depth chart comes out. What are our thoughts about it? And what can we do to help the Utah Jazz with their current struggles? That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right. So we're just going to dive right into it. It's good to be back. Um, Shout out to everyone who's been listening to us and sharing us with all their friends and family. Hopefully we can get some more followers as we keep going. We're going to dive right into it. So big news this week. On Tuesday, uh, Mark Carlin, the athletic director of the University of Utah, uh, released a statement saying that they were letting go um, Larry Skowiak after 10 years, said it was a mutual agreement. Um, And now they're in the the search for a new head coach. So, I mean, honestly, before we start talking about, you know, which coach should they bring in, I thought it'd be nice to kind of see like some of the few highlights that Larry had while he was with the Utes for 10 years. Obviously, the, in, one of, in one of the sentences that Mark Carlin had when he released a statement, he said that Larry built a foundation, which I think is absolutely true for whoever comes in next, because Larry became the head coach of a program that was probably in the worst, um, probably in the worst years of its history. Absolutely. <laughs> um, he was like literally holding tryouts for the team. It was just in the worst it's ever been. But something that I loved about what he did with that program is who he got. Um, there were the, those few shining years in the middle of this 10 year span um, that really showed um, it was kind of like the highlight of his career at the U. And I think it all goes back to one player, uh, Jordan Leverage. Jordan Leverage was the uh, Mr. Utah. He was the best high school player in the state. He had a lot of good offers to go to a lot of good colleges. And at the time he decided he was going to go to Utah. And this was in 2012, I believe. So again, like a team that had won maybe 10, 12 games, just not that good. And he decides to go in there and play for his hometown team. Well, later on, we get players like Brandon Taylor. And then we pick up in the transfer portal with DeLon Wright. Um, and then that's kind of when Larry Kay started going overseas, picked up Jakob Pertl. And the Sweet 16 run just a few years later um, was kind of just like a cap of probably one of the best um I want to say highlights of having a bunch of players that weren't really recruited that much. But when you stick together for four years in a college, it showed how much good when you're, when your teammate chemistry is on and you stick with the program, how fun it can be when they're all seniors and they're all upperclassmen. So those are my thoughts on Larry's years. I don't know, Richie, what are your thoughts? No, I think, I think you highlighted his strength. Um, Larry Kristoviak, he had a lot of weaknesses as a coach, but his biggest strength was definitely his recruiting, especially in those middle years. Um, and he he did a great job at those three things you mentioned. First, getting overseas guys, getting people through the transfer portal, and getting local talent. And you look at our team right now, and he's still doing that same thing. You have guys from overseas like Larson and Yantunen. Um, you also have local talent like Rylan Jones and Brandon Carlson. And you have people through the transfer portal um, like... Um, Jordan Kellier, but he just transferred. So that's kind of not the best example. <laughs> but but um, to Larry Kristoviak's credit, he is he was a great recruiter, and um, he really did set a foundation for the Utes in the future. Yeah, exactly. But I think we all kind of knew it was time. It was coming. In my mind, before the statement came out, I thought, well, his contract ends in a year, 
And I feel like the way that they finished in the tournament, they gave USC a run for its money in double overtime. I thought, okay, they're probably going to give them the benefit of the doubt, give them another year um, and see how it goes. But obviously they're looking for change. And I was kind of excited um, when I heard the news. Like as much as I love Larry, we've, we've been talking about it a few times. He's a great guy. But I think Utah just needs that spark again to fill the Huntsman and to get this team going. So there's been a lot of, just in the past two days, there's been a lot of prospects that have come up. Who's going to be the next head coach at the University of Utah? So, Rich, what do you got for us? Who do you think should be the next head coach? Well, honestly, I have no idea. But the options that are coming up are kind of funny. Um, and they're interesting. So, first, um, one that is kind of making the BYU fans upset is <laughs> Mark Pope. I don't think we're going to get Mark Pope because I've met the guy. I've been to BYU basketball camp. He seems like he's a true Zuby at his heart. And I don't think he will ever leave BYU. Um, another guy that's coming up is Craig Smith, the Utah State head coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be sweet. He's take, taken that team to the tournament this year. Um, and I think both those teams going to the tournament, BYU and Utah State, really is what put Kristoviak over the edge, is like really the last straw for him. Yeah. Um, two other um, head coaching jobs, head coach um, potentials that are really interesting are former U players Johnny Bryant and Alex Jensen. Um, out of the two of them, I think more likely we could maybe land Alex Jensen. Um, the reason being his family's already here in Salt Lake City. Um, he has a base um, with the, I mean, with the city he's living here. Um, Johnny Bryant is currently an associate head coach in New York. Um, and so he would have to leave New York, which is one of the greatest basketball cities um, ever. And so I don't see Johnny Bryant leaving. I could maybe see Alex Jensen leaving, but also at the same time, he's debatably a head coach in waiting in the NBA right now. So honestly, those two guys, I feel like they're both having too much success in their careers in the NBA to come down to the college level. Maybe they could be making more money because the head coaching job at Utah has been making a lot of money recently. Um, But I don't really see either of those guys coming down. So honestly, I I think we're going to find somebody outside of those four options. And I have no idea who it is. Another another name bouncing around has been Rick Patino, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, they said they wanted someone like ethical. So I think just <laughs> automatically that those Rick Patino out the window. Great coach though, great coach. And, um, but yeah. Our, our recruiting would be top level. <laughs> yeah, sadly we'd be paying, paying our players though. Um, no, I absolutely agree. I think like the two candidates that start the most are obviously I think NBA head coaches in waiting. Um, mostly because Johnny Bryant w- is just a player developer. Yeah. And I think um, that is probably his biggest trait that would um, gain his attractiveness for a college position, obviously, because college is meant to develop players for the big leagues. And I think Johnny Bryant, that's that's his go-to. Also, being an alum of a university, I think it just adds sort of an excitement to the fan base. You look at like Scott Frost in Nebraska, even though they've had terrible seasons, for some reason they just love him because he's an alum. Um, so it adds a little bit of uh, juice to what they've already got. So I'm with you. I think like I'm honestly excited for who they pick. If they pick like some high school coach, though, I'm going to be really disappointed. Um, but I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. I think yeah. this is like Mark Harlan's first big hire as an athletic director. So I think he definitely doesn't want to drop the ball on this one, and he wants to pick up someone with some credibility. I think it'll be a big name. Maybe Becky Hammond. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> We'd be all over ESPN and I'd love it. Um, but yeah, like I, I think as well, 
Earlier this week, we also learned again there's two more transfers with the youth basketball program, Lahat Chun, and like you said, Kelly is leaving as well. We've talked about this before. People keep transferring all the time. Like, what what do you think is the reason? Why are people leaving? So I think it's different with every player. Um, with these two players, both of them weren't rotation players. I think both of them want to be rotation players because they're both on like the um, the back half of their college careers. So I kind of think that's why they want to transfer out. Um, but I also do think, I mean, we had a lot of other transfers during the years. We had Devin Daniels transfer out, who's having a great year this year. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some, who are some of the other guys? Um, both Gotch. Yeah. He was he a player while we were year. gone, but yeah. Um, Chris Seeley, he transferred out. So you're having guys transfer out. Um, not all of them are necessarily having a lot of success um, when they transfer out. So it kind of makes you want to question the character of these of these players. Um, specifically with Devin Daniels, uh, we know that he got in some fights with Kristoviak. I, I heard, but I can't confirm if this is true, that there were fists thrown in a practice. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on. Um, I think Kristoviak is kind of a hard, was a hard nosed, um, coach, which is kind of becoming less traditional in the college game. Um, for example, the Wichita state head coach was recently fired because of, um, physical or not physical verbal abuse towards the players yeah um i don't know if any of these players have ever met rick majerus but <laughs> he he yeah he, <laughs> rick, rick majerus had his own reputation when it came to that exactly so i think um it's just adapting to the players as a coach and i don't think Kristoviak maybe did the best job of, at that yeah and i i i think i noticed that a lot more in Kruskoviak's coaching style with players that he knew would be great potential for the NBA. Right. One that sticks out in my mind was Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. Where he comes in, he was a really like talented, recruited athlete out of high school, and he wasn't getting as much playing time as I think he wanted to in his freshman year because his freshman year was probably our best year under Kruskoviak. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. But as he as years kept going by, I thought it was interesting that Kruskoviak always seemed to sort of like yell at him the most you know at games when he made a mistake or something like that and I feel like he was harder on the players he knew had potential for the NBA that had that natural talent right um and I think Kuzma was one of them um and obviously like he's put up a like really good players in the NBA people that are making solid contributions to modern teams um you look at DeLon Wright starting for the Pistons you've got Jakob Pertl for the Spurs playing a great role down low and obviously Kyle Kuzma is playing for the Lakers and yeah. just won an NBA ring um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, for the future, especially with this young team. Again, like they, I feel like we talk about this young team for Utah every year. <laughs> it's always a young team, but, um, especially watching, um, the, the Pac-12 tournament. I, I know we went out in the second round, but especially giving a USC team that's a six seed in the tourney with a, as terrible of a season as we had, I loved kind of the emergence of the players, um, on the Utes team. Um, I think Brandon Carlson has so much potential as a big man. Um, if he can get like a little bit bigger, but he has a shooting range unlike any other center I've ever seen. Um, like he was popping threes at the end and he's, yeah, he's fantastic. He's got a good shooting percentage. Yeah. Um, obviously you've got Ryland Jones and I think he has a lot of, he still, he has a high ceiling and I think maybe underneath a different coach, he can be able to thrive. Um, cause we weren't seeing him put up as many shots as he, as he can. He's a really good shooter, but he just didn't have that many points this last year. Uh, I love Ian Martinez. Um, in the final game, he had what, like 16 points. He was, he was great. 
fantastic. He did fantastic. Yeah. Obviously, he had like a few turnovers, but he was like freshman mistakes. And he yeah. has that natural athleticism that I think Utah needs to continue to progress. I think Utah's got a lot of good, great IQ players. But what separates them from the rest of the pack is the athleticism. Like you look at teams like Oregon and USC. Oregon is recruiting out of the transfer portal on a yearly basis, on a on a very heavy basis as well. And so they have that natural athleticism that kind of puts them ahead of the competition. I think that's what Utah's lacking. If they can get someone that has that natural instinct and can get that high athleticism into the program, I think that's what will make the difference so that they can make another tournament run pretty soon. So, I mean, looking ahead, what do you, what do you want to get out of this Utah team right now with the players staying? Um, I mean, I feel like it's still going to take a couple of years to adjust. There's going to be a new system implemented. Um, one thing that does help is we have continuity. So I could see us being, um, you know, a decent team in the Pac-12 next year, hopefully better than we were this year. Yeah. Um, you want your team to keep improving. I don't know if we're necessarily a tournament team yet, but I'd hope that in the next one or two years, um, I mean, depending if some of the coaching staff stays on, like the assistant coaches, yeah. I feel like we could make a pretty good tournament run in like the next two to three years. Yeah. I actually really love the assistant coaches, and I really hope they stay. I think Tommy Connors is a great addition, as well as Andy Hill. Really great guys. Um, all right, we're going to transition into Utah football now. So excited to talk about Utah football, um, mostly because they they are known to always perform every year, have a good season, and have a chance at that Pac-12 title. And I think this year is no exception. Um, big news again this week. We had the spring football depth chart released. Some questions popping up after some of the rankings, but this team is looking really good. Um, so looking at the depth chart, Richie, what are your what are your thoughts about Utah football coming up? Well, honestly, the two big questions I, I have and had um, looking at the depth, charts, de- the depth chart is running back and wide receiver. I'm kind of worried about those two positions, but also the quarterback situation is interesting. Um, quarterback, so number one of the depth chart is Charlie Brewer and then Peter Castelli behind him um i i'm curious if we're gonna redshirt costelli this year yeah we probably will right because we I, have brewer and jackson yeah I'm, I'm thinking they will because they definitely i'm feeling they definitely want him to be the center of the team in the future but they've got a lot of really good quarterbacks ahead of him so i think yeah they want to yeah. keep him for the long haul all right and then um running back you have michael bernard tj pledger and chris curry and so tj pledger's he's a he's a transfer right yeah, he's he from, from Oklahoma. Oklahoma, that's yeah. right. And then Chris Curry from LSU. Yeah. I'm really excited about those two guys, um, both coming out of a big conference. And I think they'll be instant contributors. And, yeah. you know, we kind of we felt like we had a hole at the running back position after the loss of Ty Jordan. Um, but I think we've done our best to replenish that. Um, wide receiver is kind of interesting. We, we know we had a couple of guys transfer. Um, some of our wide receivers transfer, which really sucks. Um, it's good to see some familiar names on there though. Britton Covey, Solomon Ennis. Um, so, I mean, this is Britton Covey's what eighth or ninth year at the university of Utah. We're yeah. hoping for great things again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love that. We have him for basically a decade. No, I, I absolutely agree. I think I'm as much as it's uncertain of what's going to happen. I'm really excited for the running back position, especially uh, again, like it's really sad that we lost Ty Jordan. Um, but this group has a lot of high potential. Um, I think the reason why they got Chris Curry is because he has that similar build that Whittingham's been looking for since Zach Moss came around. 
He's 5'11", 216, and he's a sophomore. And you can see from the highlights, like, he trucks guys. He loves yeah. he loves getting con- like getting yards after contact, which is critical in Utah's run game. But I also love TJ Pledger, and Micah Bernard had some good runs. Uh, it's a good group, but obviously it's, it's nothing like what we would have had. Um, I think a notable name missing, obviously, was Jaquindon Jackson, also in the quarterback position. Yeah. Not even listed. My speculation is he had an ACL injury in high school in 2019. He may still be recovering from that. But at the same time, they might be helping him out in other positions. Who knows? Maybe they might want to have him listed as an athlete. So, um, and then looking at the defense, I'm in love with this defense so much. It's great because it's basically the same as last year, which is awesome. Yeah, it's so good. And especially because their leader is a player that, could definitely be playing in the NFL this upcoming season um, in Devin Lloyd. Obviously, yeah. he had an op- awesome opportunity to make it to the league, as well as Brent Keithy. But the reason they both came back is because they saw the potential in this team, and they said, I want to win a championship. They want to win the Pac-12 championship. Um, so I really love that defense. I Same with Clark Phillips. He's still a freshman because, oh my gosh, I hate COVID, but I love that they like didn't lose any eligibility for <laughs> a year. Great. A um, year of experience. So awesome. Um, he literally was matched up against some of the best wide receivers in the league as a freshman in the middle of COVID, and he did pretty darn well for coming in as an 18-year-old kid. So I'm really excited for that. And then obviously, I think our kicking game is coming back to what it used to be with, with Gay and Phillips. Um, in Jaden Redding, he had a really good year last year. I think he only yeah. missed a few field goals, but like yeah. really, really solid lineup. Looking at Utah football, and I think their schedule was released also a few weeks ago. What I don't know. I'll, I'll go through the schedule, and then we can kind of talk about like what our predictions are for this year, especially looking at this depth chart. No, it's super early, but we just love talking about Utah football. So they open up at home against Weber State, then they go on the road to BYU. Um, then they travel again to San Diego state, come home and play the Cougars of Washington state. And then, a USC game on the road. Um, and then they go to a, or then it's ASU at home, Oregon state on the road, UCLA at home, Stanford and U of A on the road. And then they finish off at home against Oregon and Colorado. I looking at the schedule, I feel like they give Utah basically the same schedule every year in terms of where they spot teams. <laughs> For some reason, we always have USC at the beginning. And um, always Colorado at the end. And always Colorado at the end. And I just think it's very interesting. And what's also interesting is they gave us our bye in between our first and second Pac-12 conference game. So that's also kind of a struggle because you have that entire back half plus another so you basically have eight straight games without a bye which will be really tough um but again these are all pretty winnable games like i could see them have a fighting chance in each one of these what are some games you're looking forward to um in this next season well honestly the two the two big games that i'm looking forward to are usc and oregon i mean i know byu is the rivalry game but i kind of think we're gonna whoop them this year um (laughs) why not uh, yeah right and then with USC, you're playing them on the road. And USC is historically a very good athletic team. And um, going to a full USC stadium, that's always a scary thought. So hopefully COVID just doesn't doesn't um, slow down in California. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's going to. But um, um, I'm excited that we're playing some of these teams at home. Like I'm excited we're playing Oregon at home, um, as well as UCLA and um, Arizona State. 
Um, I think the Arizona State game will also be interesting because we've had some guys transfer there. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be interesting. There might be some, uh, it might be kind of physical. <laughs> might be kind of a rivalry game, which which is fun. Um, but honestly, all, all around the board, I'm excited for this season. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the day that we win at USC because I believe it's been over 100 years since we've won at that stadium. Wow. And especially the last two times that we were there, we had the chance to win it and we didn't. Um, I'm thinking back to, I believe it was 2017 when we were up 21 to seven at halftime and we went for two and then we were, we could have tied it with like a few seconds left and we decided to go for two. And I remember Troy Williams takes it out and runs it out to the outside and Darren Carrington is wide open in the corner and he decides he wants to run it in himself as a SoCal boy and we lose the game. But you know what? (laughs) He helped us out in a few games, but yeah, that one still gets... Gets me a little triggered. It's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, tough one to swallow. But yeah, I actually am excited for this season. Um, I I think we have a really good non-conference schedule. You have a good warm-up in Weber State. Obviously, with that BYU rivalry, it always gets the guys kind of pumped up. They always just want to keep whooping their butt every year. Uh, I'm excited for the 10th win in a row. should be fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think more than anything, this is a team that has a high ceiling as well. Uh, a lot of young guys that we saw had a lot of really good talent and they've got a lot of, they also have a lot of room to improve, but I think they can do it this year. And I can't wait to see the new end zone at Rice Eccles. That's going to be awesome. What do you think our record is at the end of the year? You know, I'm, I'm going to look at this and I, I see us going undefeated in that non-conference slate. I can definitely see us losing that USC game. Um, as well as that Stanford Arizona game, like back to back on the road, I can see yeah. us going one and one in that stretch. I don't know who against, but I can definitely see us dropping a game there. And obviously, Oregon is a big one to watch out for. But I think usually with Colorado at home, we have a pretty good time with. Um, it's pretty easy for us at home against those guys. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'd I'd probably put us at probably ten and two or nine and three right now. It's kind of what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Um, which is definitely doable, um, and I don't know. I I hope they make it to the Pac-12 championship this year, and they can actually win it. Would be awesome. <laughs> it's it's overdue. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is overdue, and I think all of us have just been dying to see it come. Um, but yeah, going into probably the biggest subject though, um, the Utah Jazz have come back. Oh boy. And not in the way that we expected. I'm going to be honest. I thought that with the way things ended, especially with that Sixers game, they kind of had a rough stretch going into the All-Star break. But especially with kind of the way they were acting after that game, I thought they would come out with some fire. Um, but it just you can just kind of see a lack of energy in these last games. And obviously just tonight, they lost to the Washington Wizards in just a game that wasn't appealing from the start. Um, obviously Mike Conley was out, but the bench just didn't perform as much as they have. And it's looking like this is a jazz team as per usual, that has a really good run. Like ever since Donovan Mitchell's come in, the jazz have had a really good run for, you know, 10 or 12 games. And then they just go back to their old ways. And some people are saying, well, maybe they hit it in the front end of their season. And now we're just seeing the usual jazz team show up at the end. But Richie, what are your thoughts on the jazz struggles right now? It's it's a hard time to be a Jazz fan when you've lost five of your last eight. Um, like you said, I thought we were going to come out on fire after that 76ers loss and after the All-Star break. I mean, usually the All-Star break is a good time to get yourself, get your team and your mind 
um, back into back into game mode, you know, um, back into attack mode. But since we've come out, we've honestly played four really bad games. I know we beat the Rockets, but that was not a pretty win. Not they at were all. not. They're not a good team at all, and they were missing their whole entire team. They got carried by Kevin Porter Jr. that game. <laughs> um, then we played the Warriors. We lost to the Warriors, um, and honestly, it was be- all because we had a bad start at the beginning of the game. We came back and we started fighting, but we couldn't dig ourselves out of the hole we dug ourselves in at the beginning of the game. We play the Celtics and we don't start the game well either. Um, we win that game, but it's not a pretty win. I mean, Donovan and Rudy had a great fourth quarter, um, so you're proud of the way that they finished the game. It was a tough win, um, and all props to them. But then you play the Wizards and you have a terrible first quarter and a terrible second quarter. And it keeps carrying on, and you can't dig yourself out of the hole. So um, this is actually, we're, we're recording this just a couple hours after the game. Um, and Joe Ingles and Rudy have been talking about how the Jazz need to come out. They need to come out aggressive. They need to come out um, with a defensive mindset because our defense has been so bad. Um, and so I look at this Jazz team, and, you know, when we were on our hot stretch, when we were going 22-2, and two, um, I honestly thought, hey, this might be a team that can make a run for the championship. Maybe you have to get a couple lucky injuries, like an Anthony Davis injury or a Kawhi Leonard injury, and maybe you can get to the to the finals. Um, I look at this team now, and it feels like a first-round bounce. Um, so honestly, you know, it's not the end of the season. All we're seeing is a small sample of the season, and it's a long season. But you want your guys to be more mentally tough especially when it comes playoff time. Because these teams, if we're still top of the standings, they're going to come at us so hard. And every team is coming at us so hard right now, which I feel like is a double-edged sword. I feel like we're getting tougher, but we're also getting more tired and we're losing games we should be winning. Yeah, exactly. And I think this next like 10-game stretch is going to be crucial for the Jazz. Um, well, obviously, they lost to Washington tonight, who the Wizards had just lost five in a row. Like, just not a good team at all. But you're looking at this upcoming schedule, and they need to dominate this because they have such an opportunity to take a really good lead. They go um, tomorrow, they're on the road at the Raptors, who have lost six in a row. Then you have you go to Chicago, also has a losing record. And then they go home and they play the Nets. And that's going to be a really tough game. It's on ESPN. Again, it's prime time. Yeah. And I think especially with the Jazz on this kind of bit of a losing streak, streak, there's going to be analysts again who are going to be looking at this game thinking, okay, are these guys for real? And the Nets are hot, hot, hot right now. So, such a good team. With, without Kevin Durant, they're playing incredible. Such a good – and I think James Harden is at the top of his game right now. Oh, yeah. Um, then you have Memphis uh, on a back-to-back at home. Again, losing record. Cleveland at home, losing record. You go to at Memphis, again, losing record. Chicago at home. And Orlando at home, who's lost eight in a row, and they have have doubled the amount of losses as wins. That That's such an opportunity for the Jazz to take a lead because as of right now, the Suns and the Lakers are right behind them at number one. And I think if you had – the Jazz had a really tough schedule in the first half, and they went over it remarkably. They did had such a good first half of the season. And now we're seeing them kind of go into this decline because obviously, like you said, teams are playing at their best. They want to beat the Jazz. I mean, how many times are we seeing a guy drop a career high or a season high against the Jazz? Like just tonight, Russell Westbrook has 20 in the first half. Yeah. And he had a triple-double early in the third. 
And then you see Bradley Beal drop 42. Like you had both of those guys, I think, combined for almost 80 points of yeah. that of that team's um, uh, final score. And I think what you were saying about Rudy, I I I loved the comments uh, of the Jazz players because I think obviously they know what's going on, and. I love how he said, like, we have to understand we haven't accomplished Jack. Like, we haven't done anything. Yeah. And I think the Jazz players were a little bit, just like Jazz fans were, were a little upset when people weren't showing them respect. But now you're seeing, okay, I can kind of see where they're coming from because the Jazz haven't done anything. It really has to come down to the playoffs, and especially in that second half of the season that leads up to it, you need to perform well to have a good stride going into it. Um, because all of these teams in the West, that right now, teams one through eight, have a really good shot at, you know, being either a dark horse or making a good run. I can see even the eight seed Mavericks, you know, pulling up and pulling off an upset in round one. Um, teams can just turn hot whenever they want to. And I think especially in the case of the West, this is a really good competition. Uh, the Jazz have a lot to, to work on. But I think especially um, what's kind of struggled for the Jazz over these last few games has been Boyan Bogdanovich. He kind of stands out. Um, just not playing to what um, he he had a rough start as well and then he kind of found his groove in the middle of it and he started averaging like 30 points a game and you know he was doing really well and now over these past 10 games during this losing streak he's kind of gone back to how he started just turn sloppy turnovers he's not making those open threes like he should what people have been talking on Twitter and stuff like that that offseason moves can still be or on yeah in the in the middle of the season moves can still be made what are your thoughts about the Boyan situation and what can be done to fix it? In my opinion, the Jazz have a one-year window of winning an NBA championship, and it's this year. And things have to go right for us. I think next year there will be um, some free agency moves that will make other teams too good, and the Jazz will get back to being fourth and fifth in the West. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich is a clear weakness on defense, and teams have been attacking that relentlessly the last couple of games. Um, I'm not impressed with Bojan Bogdanovic. Uh, so I came home from my mission and everybody's saying, oh, we got this bogey guy. He's so good. And he was <laughs> injured, so I didn't see him at all during the playoffs. Yeah. Um, But he comes back and, yeah, like, he starts off rough. And that was expected. He's coming off of a wrist injury. Um, he puts his wristband on and all of a sudden he can shoot again. Um, yeah. Then he takes it off and he can't shoot. It's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> then you get further into the season and you can't blame his struggles on his wrist injury anymore because you're 40 games into the season. Um, if you got a problem with your wrist, take some time to get it right, man. Um, so I don't think it's any problems with his wrist, but it's just hard because last year he was having a career high in points. He's having a career high in field goal percentage and three-point percentage. Um, and then you come this year and he's just playing horribly. And he's a minus every time where he's on the court. And our defense is horrible every time he's on the court. Um, as far as making a move for him, I don't know what we would do. I don't yeah. know what move we would possibly make where we would be getting an equal return. Um, you look at some of the players that may, may be on the market right now. Getting LaMarcus Aldridge would not help us at all. Um, getting, let's see, who are some other names? Aaron Gordon, maybe that would help us defensively. But he's also had too many problems with injuries. What happens if he gets injured and we run into the playoffs? We can't start Juwan Morgan in the playoffs again. Um, so, you know, I, I hope Bogey can get it together. Um, for a small market team to win an NBA championship, you're going to have to, 
I don't know, you have to get really lucky with trades and draft picks. And we've gotten lucky with trades and draft picks. We have a good team. Um, you just kind of hope that bogey and, you know, honestly, the rest of our guys can figure it out. Yeah, exactly. And I definitely think that, especially in the second half of the season, I think other teams in the West are definitely going to start picking it up. Um, as of right now, right, Phoenix is up on Minnesota by 15. And if they win that game, then they're right, literally right behind us in the standings in the West. Um, and especially today was apparent that, especially, well, I guess in the first half of the season, the, the Jazz's bench was probably the center of their success. It was that second unit that came in where most NBA, t- most average NBA teams, when that second unit comes in, they kind of take a little bit of a backtrack and then the starters come in and kind of push them back forward. But in the case of the Jazz, like their bench was scoring just as much as the other guys as well. Um, with Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles. And I think, again, that's Mike Conley's uh, has been a big part of this team this year because he's having a career high, uh, a career season. Um, I, I would see how... I want to see how the Jazz do, especially in this in these next 10 games against these really weak teams, because I think that's how they're really going to respond. And with that Brooklyn game mixed right in the middle of it, I want to see how they fight against those guys. Again, like I said, it's a national televised game. It's on ESPN primetime. Um, and I think the Nets especially also want to prove themselves, because like you said, teams want to prove themselves against the Jazz now, because the Jazz are like, yeah, we're the best. Come at us. Um, so I'm really excited for that game. Um, I... I don't know. Other other news in the Jazz um, is I'm kind of thinking about um, leading into the playoffs. Now we have the Clippers and the Lakers going in that four and five seed. Where do you kind of see the as of right now? Where do you see those final standings with how the Jazz are going and how other teams are doing? Where do you see these other teams ending up in the playoffs? So I don't see the Jazz ending first. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, we do have an easy schedule, but my confidence with the Jazz. As an honest and depressed Jazz fan right now, I don't have a lot of confidence in the Jazz. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to um, stick I, I stick with how we were playing earlier this season. I do think we will finish um, second or third, though. And I think that'll set us up. Um, hopefully, we can dodge playing the Nuggets in the first round. Uh, just because Rudy Gobert has a lot of matchup problems with Nikola Jokic. Um, honestly, I think... I think Suns are going to finish first. I think really? I think Chris Paul has a strong effect on that team. They do have a hard schedule, but they've been playing great basketball. So I think it's going to be Suns or Lakers. Um, I think Jazz finished second. Let's say Suns finished first, Jazz finished second. I think Lakers finished third, and I would not like to play the Lakers in the second round. <sighs> that would suck. That would really suck. Uh, Clippers fourth, fifth. I think there could be a fun Clippers Nuggets matchup in the first in the second round yeah. or the first round. I mean, I really like that matchup, which would be fun after um, the Clippers blew a three-one lead last year to the Nuggets. Um, looking at the rest of the standings, you have Trailblazers in sixth right now, Spurs in seventh, Mavericks in eighth, and Warriors in ninth. I don't really see any of those changing too much. Um, Mavericks are playing stellar basketball right now. They're seven and three in their last ten. Um, Spurs Spurs are kind of an interesting team. Um, they're just really well coached. You know, DeMar DeRozan's having a great year, but I feel like a lot of their success is honestly coming from their coaching. They have seven guys averaging double figures, and then you ha- factor in Jakob Pertl, who's having a great defensive season this year. Um, Trailblazers just got CJ McCollum healthy again, and at the beginning of the season, they, he was playing great. Yeah. So as far as those, I think those all stay the same. 
Um, I, but I don't know. It'll be fun to see. I'm excited for a playoff, um, for a play-in game between the Mavericks and the Warriors. Yeah. That'll be a lot of fun. That would be awesome. And I, I think especially right now with the way the other teams are trending, the, um, the argument and the conversation about the MVP has really skyrocketed. You have players now, more players being included in this conversation, which I think is another great question to ask you, Rich. Now we've got Giannis coming up again, James Harden, LeBron James, obviously. Who would be your leading pick right now for MVP? Man, it's it's a fun year for the MVP <laughs> conversation. Honestly. Um, I think a lot of it is going to come down to teams' rankings. For example, Nikola Jokic has a completely valid argument to be the MVP this year. But you kind of want... Honestly, the narrative is that his team isn't having enough success. And they're fifth in the West, which is great. Because, honestly, their team does not have a lot of good players this year. Um, But he's making the most out of their players. You look at Joel Embiid, who's having a fantastic season. He'll be out for the next two weeks or three weeks, which might end up being like 10 games. So that might honestly hurt him long-term in his MVP conversation. Um, LeBron James is also having a fantastic year. If Lakers finish first, I I would vote for him to be MVP. He's been the best player for the last 15 years. And I think he's won how many MVPs? Three or four? Yeah. Not as many as he should have. Not as many as he should have. Um, But James Harden is kind of my dark horse MVP this year. Yeah. Because he's playing great basketball. Um, He's playing like a true point guard, which I don't think he really found that in um, Houston completely. Like he was averaging a lot of assists. But I feel like this year he's really embraced the role of true point guard. And Kyrie is like their true shooting guard. Yeah. Which, when you look at their size and their stature, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, not at all. But the way that they play it totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think Steve, props to Steve Nash for helping James Harden fit into that role. Um, but honestly, I have no idea who's going to finish as MVP. Because also, you have guys like Luka. What if what if the Mavericks just play incredibly <laughs> the rest run. of the season? Then Luka would be your MVP. Giannis isn't in the MVP conversation as much as he should be because mm-hmm. they're because he's flaked out in the playoffs. Yeah, and so his playoff narrative is is I don't know interfering with his regular season narrative. Yeah, and especially with the way that he performed in the All Star game, I was like, wow, he's really good. He's really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched him against the 76ers the other night, and um, in overtime he completely took over. He was going against the supposed defensive player of the year, Ben Simmons, and. <laughs> Um, supposed I like that, that guy didn't look like a defensive player of the year that's all I gotta say <laughs> I like it um I think uh, as well I think another player obviously that shows up every year but again showing up this year I think is Damian Lillard as well I think it, we I I don't like the all-star game um I I just think it just doesn't have as much star quality as other sports but again yeah. we kind of saw Damian Lillard's range and then again the other night he, he he always shows up in the clutch and that's what I love about Damian he doesn't have He's not that good on the other end of the court, but what I love is his clutch, his clutch moments. Um, I I would put him at right behind James Harden in the dark horse conversation. But like you said, this is a really fun year. I think a lot of players have stepped up and they're playing like the best of their careers. Um, I I honestly don't know who I would pick right now because at the beginning of the season, I definitely would have said LeBron James without a doubt. Right. Um, like you said, he's still literally still playing at the top of his game in his 18th year in the NBA. And it doesn't look like he has any sl- signs of slowing down. Um, 
I'm excited to see how it ends, though, because like we've been talking about, I think all of these teams are going to get fired up uh, to finish off the season, and that includes where these MVP candidates are going to land come playoff time. And I think that, like you said, that's a huge factor in who they decide. It's usually a team that makes a good run in the playoff. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know. Any final thoughts, Rich? Um, I don't know. It's going to be a fun end of the NBA season. Um I'm kind of just wanting to look at it as not a Jazz fan because I think that's going to be a really interesting shift in the standings, um, both Western and Eastern Conference, and I don't want to get upset about the Jazz dropping. <laughs> um, but I think come playoff time, there's going to be a lot of good matchups, so I'm pretty excited. Yeah, we should all be really excited for when those playoffs come. It's going to be a little bit later this year, but better than ever. Um, so thank you all for tuning in to this uh, episode of the Thatcher Effect Hopefully we see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you. See ya.